You, you out there, are you a racist? I think you're racist. All white people are, says Robin DiAngelo. In the white mind, black people are the ultimate racial other. And Ibram Kendi says, Every person, every idea, and every policy is either racist or anti-racist. Both best-selling authors reach lots of people. No justice, no peace. It sounds good to educate people about racism, but. The way we're being encouraged to think hurts black people. John McWhorter, author of Woke Racism, says this new approach to race is not scholarly, it's toxic, like a cult. We ask for forgiveness from our black brothers and sisters. I've been amazed. I have lived during a time when I could watch a religion form. The heartbeat of anti-racism is confession. A new religion has arisen, and more to the point, that it's a shitty religion. But this is a clearly fact-based belief. There is racism. Oh, there certainly is. But he says the problem with these messages is that they claim racism explains just about everything. White Americans have more because of racism. And racism is why on tests, black people receive lower scores than, than whites and Asians. In the past, civil rights leaders said, well, how can we make it so that black kids are better at the test? Today's idea is eliminate the test. These tests, which are denying access. You take away the tests in order to show that you are not a racist because the tests have a way of making black people unhappy. That it is somehow unreasonable to expect black kids to use analytical thinking in a rigorous way. This is a new way of thinking. It's a religious way of thinking. One that harms young black people, he says. Because if adults tell students they're victims, they're less likely to study hard. It also ignores other aspects of black culture that don't stress getting good at those tests in the way that aspects of, say, South Asian immigrant culture clearly does. So does Caribbean culture, Nigerian culture. Those people come here and deal with the same racism that everybody else does, and yet they make the best of the worst, which simply means that so could black Americans. Kendi calls all race disparities systemic racism. Kendi is dim. You can call him dim, but he's winning the hearts and minds. If he does, it really is a national tragedy. At the moment, Kendi and D'Angelo are winning followers and money. D'Angelo charges big speaking fees. Companies donate millions to promote Kendi's anti-racism research. But while the media called D'Angelo and Kendi two leading scholars, you're America's leading scholar on anti-racism. Their actual ideas rarely get much critical scrutiny. Both refuse to debate opponents. Yet their books are now recommended reading at schools, corporations, even in the military. That idea is quite charismatic. It is something that gives a certain kind of pleasure because it makes it seem like you've got one answer to a bunch of things that looked disparate and difficult. But all disparities between white people and black people are not due to something unfair that was driven by whites. It seems odd to me that this is happening now when I would think there is less racism in America than there ever was before. There's more intermarriage, there's more opportunity for minorities. Why now? To fashion a victimization identity is a luxury available to people who aren't really suffering that much. In America today, 
there are advantages to being a victim. Yes. It gives you an emotional balm to be treated as this victimized person. The problem is that it's anti-black. One example. There is a disproportionate number of suspensions of black boys in schools for violence. Now, the Kendian position is to say that that must be racist because black boys aren't the only ones. That disproportion must be because of a stereotype of black men as violent. But the truth is that the data makes it very clear that black boys do commit more violent acts in the schools. If you don't suspend those boys, the violence is being perpetrated against other black kids. So a lot of what he's talking about leaves black kids and black people in the lurch. Well, you give people a lot to think about, Ibram Kendi, so bravo to you. If Kendi wins, we all lose. Yet, as I argued before. He's winning the hearts and minds. I'm not sure if he's winning. All of life was taking place on Zoom for a while. I think that as we come out of the pandemic and we're less bored, less anxious, I suspect that a lot of the extremes that we saw are going to start retreating because there's going to be a pushback. Thanks for watching our video. If you enjoyed it, please hit the like button and subscribe so you can see our next one. How dare you call yourself a journalist? These protesters are yelling at reporter Tim Poole. Not gonna let them bully me out of reporting on what they're doing. Poole's part of what some call the new media reporters who work for themselves and often cover things the mainstream media miss. The news you're getting comes straight from me and straight from the source on the ground. That brings them viewers. More than a million people subscribe to Poole's online channel. Here he's videotaping Antifa protesters who try to stop him. Tim Poole is getting blocked yet again. The Antifa de-escalation team, they actually called it, said don't touch him. And so they actually made sure people didn't touch me, which is good. Antifa has a de-escalation team? Yeah, they have people who try and make sure nobody, you know, no one from their side starts it because the cameras are rolling. You call yourself a person of the left and you worked at Vice. Yeah. But now... You're mostly criticizing the left. This really strange faction of people on the left that are saying ridiculous things that make no sense. They're hurting the left and they're helping Donald Trump. Trump gets voters who watch those protests. Yep. Do look at this protest in Portland. A Bernie Sanders supporter showed up with an American flag to protest against the fascists. And so what did Antifa do? Cracked him over the head with a club, put him in the hospital with a concussion. Pool won fans with his coverage of the Covington school conflict. All of these big news outlets, even the Washington Post, CNN, they immediately made the assumption he must be a racist sneering at this Native American man. I didn't make that assumption. I just see a guy banging a drum and a kid with a weird look on his face. So I looked at some other videos and posted his own video explanation. The initial narrative that we heard from the activists was that this kid got in this man's face. You have just seen right now, it's actually the other way around. No one else watched the video. How could that be? No one watched the longer video? Nope. Here's what happens. One, one left-wing journalist says, look at this racist. His buddy sees it and says, wow, look at this racist. And then it's a big old circular game of telephone where no one actually does any fact-checking. And then New York Times, Washington Post, CNN all publish the same fake story. Poole and Reason's Robbie Suave told the true story. That's a complete, complete misreading of the situation. That's exactly backward. Poole doesn't have a college degree or even a high school degree. I like it that you're a high school dropout. Yeah, me too. <laughs>
Instead of going to college and taking on debt, Poole just started videotaping what interested him. I went to Occupy Wall Street. The march has begun. We're now at 13th Street and Broadway. For those just tuning in. The whole he covered the riots in Ferguson, Missouri. And that's the first time I've been fired at. You're an action junkie. You know, it's not so much the action, but kind of, you know, definitely an adrenaline junkie. I've been skateboarding my whole life. But it was more so, I want to know why things are happening. Some people don't trust the media. I don't know who to believe. Why don't I just go there? I can see for myself. And then it turns out there's one good way to fund that. Tell people what you saw. He funds his videos with advertising and contributions from viewers. His most popular YouTube video was when he went to Sweden to look at so-called no-go zones. Trump had said there are areas where you can't go. No-go zones. Your videos said what? That it was nuance. You got lots of views with nuance? Yeah. <laughs> Poole interviewed lots of people. And they were looting the stores here. And won viewers by concluding. They certainly have their problems. But, you know, one side will have you believe it's the end of the world, and the other will have you believe nothing's happening at all. Poole is now a zealot for free speech. When I was growing up, it was the religious conservatives that had the moral panic about music and swear words. But today, the moral panic is coming from the left. What happened to the left at Berkeley holding up signs saying free speech today? The left shows up with torches and burns free speech signs. That's not the left. And so, you no, know... It is the left. But, it's but, not the old left. They want everyone to believe that someone like me who was a supporter of Bernie Sanders, is a conservative. That way, actual conservatives look insane. Poole's one of many new media people who are changing how reporting is done. Independent, uncensored. I don't agree with everything they say, but I'm sure glad they're out there. They give us more choice. This is a former communist country, the Soviet satellite Georgia. Today, it's a growing nation ranked even higher than America in economic freedom. How did Georgia fairly quickly get to this after decades of poverty and misery? My executive producer, Maxim Lott, spent months there to try to find out what can Americans learn from here? Georgia was once extremely poor. Because a hundred years ago, the Red Army had occupied the whole country and established the Soviet regime. Communists took ownership of all private property, farms, houses, businesses. Everything was taken and put under government control. It was a crazy time, crazy country. When Zarab Japaridze was younger, he joined these protests. Go these, combined with protests all over the Soviet Union, eventually took down the communist regime but with no recent history of democracy. Georgia quickly devolved into rivals fighting for control. The fighting happened right in the middle of city streets. That left the country even poorer, and it was already poor from communism. Soviet leaders had thought they were smart enough to run the entire economy. They'd ordered Georgians to do things like produce tea, 95% uh, of tea was, uh, to Soviet Union was provided from Georgia. But Georgia was not a great place to grow tea. But after the collapse, people started to taste the Indian tea and then realized that the tea is actually better. So nobody wanted Georgian tea. That industry and many others collapsed when Soviet support ended. 
three-fourths of Georgian economy just disappeared right away. Central planners are never smart enough to run something as complex as an economy. Thank you. Fortunately, this eccentric libertarian multimillionaire became economy minister and had nearly free reign to make everything private as much as possible. As Georgia's former president puts it, we scrapped 90% of licensing and permits. That reduced corruption. Every license means interaction with the officials. And every interaction with the official can be an open door for a corrupt request. Fadi Asli ran a food import business. Corruption was so rampant. A high-ranking official came to me one day and he told me, I have a friend of mine who's very honest and very competent and we would like him to be the chair of this anti-corruption commission. But he has to pay someone $10,000 to get his job. So the future chair of the anti-corruption commission had to bribe someone to get his job. Georgia has come a long way since then. Transparency International says it's now less corrupt than all of its neighbors. We fired the entire police force, the entire customs office, the entire tax service. We diminished the number of agencies by half. There was a huge boom, Georgia, that turned from a failed state to a very successful state. Even some Americans noticed. Obviously, Georgia's made strides. Georgia's economy started growing 10% a year. Huge economic growth. Ivan Nachkebia saw the changes growing up. You kind of notice when people are getting rich, right? You just notice it on their clothes, and the way they look, on their cars, I mean, uh, the, the streets and stuff. Buildings that had once been burned were restored. Some prosperity finally came to Georgia. You'll be shocked by the difference. And now you can see McDonald's, KFCs, the stuff which was unimaginable and we could only have seen in the movies at the time. This was this kind of like, um, let's say, a libertarian utopia for four years. And then the government said, okay, we are very well organized. We are already a success story. We're going to take the economy in our own hands. Politicians reverted to big government ways. They decided, we're going to get into business ourselves. And they chose 10, 15, 20 businessmen who were close to the government. And they started protecting them at the expense of their competitors. Competitors like his company. Government protected his rivals by making them tax exempt. So after losing like a couple of million dollars, then I decided to stop the business. Economic growth slowed. Georgia is still very poor. Why did Georgia turn back towards big government? Because people did not actually understand why all this happened. Years of Soviet propaganda kept people from learning about free markets. When explaining some stuff to my parents, and they lived all their life during Soviet times, and what I realized is that you're touching something that is really sacred for them. With my parents, I just gave up. Did they vote for you anyway? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Japaridze is now in the Georgian parliament, the leader of this libertarian party. Which stands for the values of individual liberty, property rights, free market, freedom of speech and expression. It's about how you see the world, whether you want to take responsibility about your life or you are fine with being a slave and having some kind of a master who will provide you with all your 
basic needs. This is kind of mentality is, is what is hindering the rapid development of this country. The overall lesson to learn from Georgia? Government should not interfere with business. The government should be out. The government should be very small. It should just regulate the minimum. School spending has tripled over the past 40 years. We now spend much more than other countries, but what do we get? Fancier schools, more assistant principals, but student learning? No improvement. Look at it. There's the line. For 40 years, scores have been flat. Much more money, no improvement. This is awful. But there is some good news. Around America, some very cool things are starting to happen. But school is boring. No, it's not. Yes, it is. I know. I went to school. Grade school was boring. So was high school. So was Princeton. Except for the party parts. But fourth grade? You have to learn reading and writing. That's work. Reading is work, but it's rockin' awesome. Rockin' awesome? And these kids say school is fun? Yes. How is it fun to learn? <gasps> they just teach us in a fun way. So you guys look forward to going to school in the morning? Yes! These kids attend one of those new charter schools. Free public schools, but their charter lets the school escape the bureaucracy of regular schools, including teachers' union rules. This school enrolls the inner-city kids bureaucrats label at risk of failure. But these kids learn. Devin is 100% on top of her game right now. Going to our school is uh, a ticket to educational success. This woman runs several charter schools. All get outstanding test scores. Do you do this all with the same money the public schools get? We actually do it with less, four and $6,000 less per child. How? For less money. Do they get the kids Follow so interested? You're interested in math and yes. Yes. reading, yes. writing. But learning is work. It don't matter. <laughs> the school day here is longer. Kids often stay till 5 p.m. Charter teachers can be asked to work more than the union would have allowed. They told us they don't mind. But you're going to burn out. Why aren't you ticked off? That's not an option for us because we kind of have our eye on the prize with these kids. They use all sorts of new teaching techniques. Sometimes teachers wear earpieces during class and then they're coached by their bosses. What are they telling you? They're telling me things that I don't see. If I don't think of a great question in, this, in the moment, my principal's able to kind of feed that to me through the earpiece. We kind of view teachers as athletes in the Olympics and they need constant support and coaching to be at the top of their game. Kids at this school constantly wave their hands around. It confused me, but then the students explained it's what they call active listening. Instead of interrupting class to blurt out, say, can I go to the bathroom, or I agree with that, the students make hand gestures. So what's the symbol for agree? High test scores made these charters so popular that parents line up, hoping to get their kids admitted. This line goes on and on forever goes around the block so many applicants but not that many spaces so what do you do when you have thousands of people and just a few hundred slots they hold a lottery 
The winners are happy. Sadly, there are many more losers. On the other end of America, in Oakland, California, another chartered chain gets similar top results using different methods. Here's what I say. Give me the worst school in Oakland. Black, Mexican, polka dot. Give us the worst school anywhere in America and we'll take it and we'll, we'll outperform the other schools in five years. Ben Chavis created the model at the American Indian Public Charter Schools, right in the heart of a rough neighborhood. Now, these are hard workers here. The kids at American Indian schools now have some of the highest test scores in California. And you could do that on the same amount the state gives every school? We get less. We get less than every other school. The kids in American Indian public charter schools are scoring so far above the average for the state for public school children that there isn't even a word for it. They use different techniques from the charters in Harlem. Here at American Indian, they pay some kids to tutor other kids. We hire our students and we pay them. Thank you. They're excited. They're going to make some money. Chavis is politically incorrect. <laughs> what are you going to study? Science. Science? A Mexican in science? <laughs> yeah, good for you, honey. You'll be a rare bird. He's been criticized for imposing strict rules. You got in trouble, didn't you, boy? They're stricter because they really want us to succeed. A teacher made this student do push-ups in the hallway because they didn't follow directions. You actually have to try hard when you're here. I hate Saturday school. Oh my <laughs> God. My other school, we didn't have as much homework. We had like one page of homework, but then here we have six subjects of homework. And then the teachers were a lot nicer and here they're a lot meaner. Meaner, and yet no student's been expelled since the school began in 2000? No way. I love fools. I love the kids who get in trouble because you can take a kid who's acting like a fool or gets in trouble and use them as an example. It's cruel, your critics say. We have a sixth grade student acts up in class, he'll be sent to sit on the floor in an eighth grade class. Yes, that's true. And embarrassment keeps people in line, whether we want to admit it or not. Even gym class is strict. At my old school, we play games every, every PE, but here, it's either running for 10 minutes or running around the block. You fire people at your schools. They should be fired. You fired a teacher after one day? She is incompetent. You could tell in one day? Yes, she is incompetent. Last year, I thought I was going to get fired a few times. If I'm not doing a good job, it's over. And it could happen at the drop of a dime. That's not true at most government-run schools, especially union ones. Union teachers are happy that they can't be suddenly fired. But these charter teachers can be. You can get canned in a moment. Doesn't it bother you? If I'm not doing my job, per se, and I was fired for that, so be it. If I was a doctor and I wasn't good, I mean, I wouldn't have a job. No one would come to me, right? I would hope not. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot maintain quality unless you can fire people, says this charter founder. It's as, as many as we must and as little as we can. Have you fired more than 10? Uh, in three schools in eight years, yes. But while bad teachers might get fired, good teachers are given freedom. They can choose their textbooks, their teaching methods, as long as they, every quarter and every year, make sure that the students are learning what they need to learn at the end of the day. In Harlem, 43% of eighth graders get passing grades and state math tests. 100% of her kids pass. So, if such charters work, 
Why aren't there more of them? Don't be fooled. charter schools. Because unions and supporters of traditional schools hate charters. This protest occurred outside one of Eva Moskowitz's charters. Eva Moskowitz must go. I hope it's not personal, but it may be. There will be responsibility for those who funded the lab. Did you see this heated debate between Rand Paul and Anthony Fauci? I totally resent the lie that you are now propagating. Paul accused Fauci and the U.S. government of funding experiments in China that could have started a pandemic. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress. Rand noted that Chinese researchers did thank the U.S. government for money they used to manipulate coronaviruses. Viruses that in nature only infect animals were manipulated in the Wuhan lab to gain the function of infecting humans. Such gain-of-function research tries to learn more about diseases by making them more deadly or contagious. Take an animal virus and you increase its transmissibility to humans, right. you're saying that's not gain-of-function? Yeah, that is correct. And, and Senator Paul, you do not know what you are talking about. Does Fauci respond and explain to us in a reasonable fashion why he thinks it's not gain-of-function? No, he calls me a liar. You think he made progress? These interactions have completely shifted opinion. Today, most Americans believe that COVID leaked from a lab. I changed my mind as well on it. I didn't realize that the lead scientist that was trying to convince all of this, that it couldn't have come from the lab, that he was the funder of the lab. Now, to be clear, this U.S.-funded research did not create COVID. Scientists can tell by the molecular structure. But should they have been doing those experiments at all? They do seem risky. Dr. Fauci in 2012 said that even if a pandemic would occur that originated in a lab, he said that scientific research would be worth it. It sounds like incredibly bad judgment. Don't listen to those maniacs. Everybody loves you, all right? The media is eager to defend Fauci. No one's supposed to question him. But they're eager to mock Paul. Did he get schooled? Did Senator Paul get schooled by Anthony Fauci? I've actually lost the thread on Rand Paul's conspiracy theories, but it, it seemed to go back to uh, some U.S. funding for the lab. At that time, social media companies actually banned even suggesting that the virus might have come from a lab. Never before has there been a couple companies that could just shut conversation off. Just feels wrong. There's a real danger to scientific or journalistic inquiry. These monolithic social media companies are determining what the truth is. For example, where did the virus start? We were told... Health officials believe COVID-19 originated in animals sold in a so-called wet market in China. But there was no real evidence of that. The evidence suggested a lab leak. American diplomats had warned of risky experiments there. And then three Wuhan lab researchers got COVID symptoms before the disease was known elsewhere. When that became public, officials finally admitted. It could have been a lab leak. Suddenly, Facebook unbanned the theory. It turned out Facebook had relied on a fact check by this group, which relied on information from the very person who directed government funding to the Wuhan lab. It is amazing that one day we're banned from even talking about it, and then suddenly that flips. You have even mainstream media now acknowledging it may well likely have come from the lab. Facebook should never have banned it. The advancement of knowledge requires skepticism. It requires debate on both sides of it. But because of social media censorship, 
we only get one side on certain topics. I'll continue to use them as long as I think I get benefit, but I'll continue to also tell everybody how much they suck and how much they censor. Including censoring him. Last week, YouTube suspended his whole channel because he'd quoted studies that concluded cloth masks were ineffective. The video platform saying it will ban any content that contradicts the World Health Organization. Other research suggests the masks do offer some protection. Paul shouldn't have made such strong statements based on imperfect studies. But YouTube is wrong to just cut him off. They will ultimately destroy their platform. Somebody is out there, maybe it's somebody watching this broadcast, is going to make a billion dollars when they develop the new Facebook. Senator Paul will still use Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, but he now prefers new sites like Liberty Tree. But we lose something by not talking to the other side. Well, yes and no. You ever read your Twitter feed, John? I mean, most of the people on there are, are complete idiots, imbeciles, and people that are just going crazy calling you names. I have mine's, 100 Mine's people, not as crazy as yours and others for some reason. Of the first 100 tweets, 50 of them will wish more violence on me and say and wish that I that I'm attacked again. You know, wish that I had died during the first assault. I'm sick of it. I'm not going to take it anymore and I'm putting my stuff on rumble.com. I'm on Rumble too and Odyssey and johnstossel.com. But I'll stay on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter. Because even though I hate their censorship, I think more debate is best. Hope you like this video. Of course, we may get censored. So to keep getting our videos, I hope you'll go to johnstossel.com and sign up for our email list. Then they can't cut us off. Our technology is catching up to Star Trek. So can we now fly the Enterprise? Shall we begin? No. Today the Enterprise couldn't do half what the filmmakers imagined. We have too many rules. Would you ride your bike without a helmet? We'll get him too. Buckle up day and night or you will get caught. By contrast, the Enterprise didn't even have seatbelts. We're at the point where the Enterprise wouldn't get off the ground. Of course it would. I would be there. William Shatner now mocks me for calling for less government. And that's a wonderful principle to have. Government stay out of our lives. And yet, how do you have too many safety rules? You, you don't know that that wall isn't going to fall in. And if it fell in, and then you said, why didn't you make a rule? It's good there are rules about cigarette smoking. It's bad for you, but it could be worse for me if I'm smoking, if I'm breathing in secondhand smoke, even on your clothes. That's worth a regulation. And they regulate it, they tax it, but they don't ban it. Well, because people want to smoke. Yes, and free people want to do all kinds of risky things. We ought to be allowed to. Tomato soup. Remember that food producing machine on the Enterprise? There are 14 varieties of tomato soup available from this replicator. You could get whatever you wanted. In real life, today's food police would limit your choices. I would like a large cola. Your choice is unavailable. Foie gras. Your choice is unavailable. And when the crew had to go, regulators would mandate many choices. Does this really need to be a thing? And the TSA would make it hard to board. No phasers, no tricorders. If I catch you with a tricorder, you will not make this transport. Mrs. Scott, ready to beam up. Beam up? The transportation department would say, that's too dangerous. 
I watch government regulate this and that and this. Well, aren't Star they trying Trek to do good? Aren't they trying? Aren't these little men who've never been on a horse trying to do good yes. by limiting your broken bones? You're argument of no regulations what? doesn't hold. I didn't say no regulations. Well, then where do you draw the line? Many, many fewer. I want to be able to drink raw milk if well, I'm if stupid you enough to soda, try it. Well, but nobody should be drinking milk. No other species drinks another species' milk. If you do it, you're going to kill yourself. All kinds of terrible things like flatulence will happen to you. Darkness is coming. Darkness has come. Because today, even Captain Kirk doesn't want to explore space. You can't live on Mars, A. And B, to get three people to Mars is monumental in, in, in cost. So you're not going to populate Mars. You're going to send some people to die or get out of there as quickly as possible. It's going to be like the moon. One, zero. Oh, come on. Private space travel is taking over. NASA no longer insists on government doing it all. We could be entering a wonderful new era of libertarian exploration. We libertarians would do it differently. We'll boldly go where no one's gone before, discover new species, and leave them alone. Space, the final frontier. Our continuing mission to seek out new life and new civilizations and leave them alone. To trade with them, if they want, but to mostly leave them alone. In Cuba, days of dissent. You heard about the protests in Cuba. Listen to the calls and the voices of the Cuban people. They are demanding libertad, liberty. Alian Colazo, the organizer of this protest near the White House, says when American reporters say, they are demanding food and COVID-19 vaccines, they're just not telling the truth. In which video are people yelling out, we want food? None. What they were yelling was, abajo el comunismo, down with communism, and they were yelling loud and clear, libertad. Yet politicians in America say they are protesting the lack of materials uh, during the pandemic, particularly the lack of medical supplies. What is the problem? She speaks Spanish. Can she not listen to what the Cuban people are saying? Libertad means freedom. Libertad. You want food, but you don't have liberty. You don't have food. They don't have supplies because of our embargo. The U.S. embargo is absurdly cruel do research on what the embargo truly is medicine food and all of that can be traded that's true there's no embargo on food and medicine ocasio-cortez is right to call the embargo absurd and cruel but important supplies get through and most every country around the world still trades with cuba the real problem is communism when the government controls your business a hundred percent of it when you can start your business, when you can close it, guess what happens? People don't have food. All of the resources of you as an individual end up, you know where? In the hands of the state. That's what causes Cuba's poverty. The buildings are crumbling. You don't see any future. Everything is stagnated. Oddly, what helped inspire these most recent big protests was this rap song. 
doctrine refers to the propaganda Cubans hear every day. It's this constant, constant cycle of propaganda. Lie after lie after lie. Many Cubans realize they've been fed lies. Now they protest, even though they may be attacked by police. Still, Black Lives Matter came out with a statement defending Cuba, saying, Cuba has historically demonstrated solidarity with oppressed peoples. If they truly did that, you know, they wouldn't be killing the Cuban people right now. Black Lives Matter protesters would say, the same thing happens in America. We're oppressed. There's a difference here in America. You're not going to be sent to jail for doing that, okay? Some people were. Yes, but they have a process of showing that what they did was legal and they can get a lawyer and they can have a real court hearing. That does not exist in Cuba. Other Americans like Michael Moore defend Cuba for its free services. I took my group of sick Americans to a hospital to see if they could get some care. They didn't ask for money or an insurance card. At that time, Moore told me, if there's one thing they do right in Cuba, it's healthcare. Free hospitals. Free? Okay, go to a hospital in Cuba, they don't even have an aspirin. So, oh, it's free, yeah, it's free. It's horrible. If you're an outsider or a foreigner that can pay in hard currency, like Michael Moore's documentary, they'll take you to the nice hospital that has bed sheets. He experienced a hospital that has electricity. Yet when President Biden's press secretary was asked, do you think that people are leaving Cuba because they don't like communism? She wouldn't condemn communism by name. They are opposed to the oppression, to the mismanagement of the government. Communism is a failed system. At least the president did. Universally failed system. And uh, I don't see socialism as a very useful substitute. Colazzo wishes he'd do more. Satellite internet is the key. The recent protests happened because of social media. That's why this happened spontaneous. That's why the regime didn't even know about it until it was happening. They were surprised by the enormous amount of individuals that went out at the same time. The government felt threatened by that, so... Cuba shut down the only internet provider on the island. To cut off communication from the outside world so people don't see the brutality. Any further protests will be hidden from the rest of the world. The Cuban people are not asking for military intervention. Let's get the president of the United States to deliver internet. The U.S. could do that. Beam internet into Cuba which would allow Cubans to once again be heard by the world. This is historic. In Cuba, we have never seen this. Hope you enjoyed this video. Please subscribe and hit the notification bell. And click this button if you want to help us make more. Why do I have to compete against a male body? A few days ago, I released this video about transgender athletes competing and dominating the competition. I don't think that's fair, even with hormone therapy. But still, I want an inclusive society.
Trans people just want to live normal lives like everyone else. Trans athlete Joanna Harper points out that normal lives include athletic competition. Trans people should be allowed to experience sports. Harper's a scientist who's studied how transgender athletes lose strength with hormone therapy. But there may need to be more than simply the requirement for hormone therapy. She points to sports like weightlifting. Let's say that we do get more data. Rather than have a straight up competition, we handicap the trans women in some way. How, she has to stand on one foot or you throw no. water on her while she? No, you, you subtract 10% from the weight that she lifts. I threw that argument at this bike racer who lost to this trans woman. Handicap trans women in some way. I don't buy that at all. You're mudding the water even further. On the other hand, maybe. A different podium, a different division. But there aren't that many trans women, so it wouldn't be much of a division. Well, there weren't that many women playing back in the 70s either. It just takes time. And more experimentation. And maybe someday the world will figure out a way to let everyone compete fairly. History has been made. This transgender weightlifter competed in the Olympics. Transgender women, people born male but who identify as female, are winning many competitions. Dominating the state's girls' track meets. Some women are upset about that. Why do I have to compete against a male body? Leah Schneeberger is a mountain bike racer. She won this race three years in a row. But then a former men's cyclist transitioned and competed as a woman. Now that person wins. How did this happen? I just want to be able to compete on a fair playing field. Bearden is a road racer and recently won a women's state championship. Transgender competitors do often take testosterone blockers that help align their body with how they identify. When I started hormone therapy, within nine months I was running 12% slower. Trans athlete Joanna Harper is a scientist who's advised the Olympic Committee. How is it fair for trans women to compete with women? Well, trans women lose muscle, lose strength, lose endurance with hormone therapy. This one is gonna be Telfer. After Cece Telfer won this race, she said, As a trans athlete, I'm not a threat to women's sports because I am a woman. But Telfer ranked 390th best competing as a man. I have to admit, uh, I am somewhat at a loss to explain it. However, there are hundreds of NCAA championships awarded every year. Trans women are hugely underrepresented. But what about combat sports? Fox oh, in the knees and oh. that's it. Trans woman Fallon Fox won most of her fights. She broke this woman's orbital bone. Later, she said, I've never felt the strength as I did that night. Doesn't seem fair. Fallon last fought in 2014. Can you come up with anything more recent? The idea that trans women are hugely going to outperform cis women does not hold up to the statistics. But the statistics do say. A male could be 40% stronger than a female on his legs. Biologist Emma Hilton. Things like shoulder width. Those things don't change when transgender women suppress testosterone. They don't get shorter. 
They've still got big lungs. I can train 20 hours a week, but I cannot train to be a man. You can't fix some of the performance gaps. The performance gap in weightlifting is over 30%. The performance gap when someone is throwing a baseball is over 50%. And the performance gap when a male punches is 160%. <laughs> Now, I have no problem with people who transition to the gender they identify with. I'm all for saying we welcome you in the world who want to transition, and you should be afforded every right that I have. But competing at a high level where it really matters to people seems like a reasonable exception. I would disagree with you on that. Trans women will not be outperforming cisgender women by such a margin in most sports that we can't have reasonable competition. In most sports, but that means in some sports, they will have an advantage. Yes, we allow advantages in sport. Gold medals piling up for Team USA. The richer nations win the vast majority of Olympic medals. If we're going to let trans people have any kind of lives at all, then it shouldn't be a shock that there is a trans person in the Olympics. She's not going to dominate the competition. She didn't. She won no Olympic medals, but still. She's taken a place from someone. She took a spot from Tracy Lambrace. She was told. You won't be selected as the New Zealand super heavyweight weightlifter because Hubbard is better than you. This is unfair. She and others aren't happy, but most stay silent. Because every time we try to voice it, we get told to be quiet. I don't get this being silent stuff. I would think if you feel you're being treated unfairly, you'd speak up. They are being told they need to stay silent or else they're going to lose their spot on a team. They're going to lose sponsorship opportunities. Uh, they're going to be called a bigot. Nobody wants that. She's transgender and last year she won a world championship for her age group, racing against women. Here she is atop the podium. This woman who finished third said, it's not fair, but... I decided I wasn't going to disrespect the race organizer or my country, and I smiled for the podium photo. I've done the same thing. You're in shock. You don't want to be called a sore loser. Currently, most states, supported by the Biden administration, allow trans students to compete even without hormone therapy. I've lost opportunities. High school sprinter Selena Soul would have reached the state championships, but then... Two transgender athletes took off flying and left all of us girls in the dust. Dominating the competition. It's not because they're trans that these cis athletes couldn't win. It's that they weren't fast enough. Veronica Ivey, the trans athlete who won that bike sprint championship, says... These fears that trans women are a threat to women's sport are irrational fears of trans women which is the dictionary definition of transphobia. That's an attempt to shut down conversations, to stop people asking questions. I just want to be able to compete on a fair playing field and to watch a transgender female ride away from me like it was nothing and there's nothing I can do about it. It was torture. I, I really haven't raced since. Thanks for watching our video. If you like it, please hit the like button. That actually helps us out.